Hello, everyone, and welcome to your bonus sermon here at First Baptist Church Grandview. We have been meeting in person the last couple of weeks, uh, so we've been uh, studying and thinking about what God wants us to be doing as far as loving our neighbors well during this interesting time, uh, and uh, didn't want to completely forget what we have been talking about, and that is our body and soul study. Uh, so I've still been doing that here online for all those who would like to to, to partake uh, and, and watch and listen and learn from uh, this this sermon and this study series. Uh, so I will be closing that up today. Uh, this is the sixth and final sermon uh, in that Body and Soul series. Uh, and for those of you who have been a part of our Facebook group, um, this will kick off your last week uh, and you begin to think about what you can do, what we can do uh, moving forward as we think about our holistic health, um, mind, body, and soul, uh, how God might speak to us and work through us uh, in all those different areas of our lives. So as we think about uh, this sermon that I'm calling The Long Haul, uh, and by the way, if you have a Bible handy, you might go ahead and mark Hebrews chapter 10, verses 32 through 39. That's where I'm going to be here in a moment. As we think about this idea of, of closing this study, of closing the program, for those of you who have been a part of it, out over the next week, um, one thing I want to focus on at the end is that this is not meant to be the end for anyone or for anything. Uh, if you have started some new devotional habits, if you have started some new physical habits, exercise habits, eating habits, if you have gotten some of those more in line where you think God wants them to be, then this is not the time to say, okay, well, that was that was a, a good six-week experiment. Uh, I'm done with that. I'll move on to the next thing. Uh, instead, this last week is to drive home that uh, in order for something to really stick, uh, in order for us to uh, really be obedient and faithful to God, how all of us would want to be in all the aspects of our life, mind, body, and soul, uh, this has to be something that we commit to for the long haul, uh, that we commit to for the rest of our lives, really. Uh, and so that's what we're going to be focusing on today. Now, I am, as I have said at the uh, beginning of this series and when I announced that I was doing it on Facebook uh, over six weeks ago now, uh, I am uh, out of shape, uh, getting better, uh, have, you know, have been getting better over the last se uh, several weeks, uh, but still have a lot of work to do. Uh, as far as getting in shape, but there's a good part of me that knows that I can do that, uh, that I can get in shape because I've done it before. Um, now, uh, I've gotten back out of shape before too, so I know how to do that, and that has to do with what we're talking about today. But what I can concentrate on and what I can be grateful for in my own history, in my own life looking back, uh, is that I know that I can, I can do this because I've done it before. Uh, if any of you have ever trained to run or do any sort of other uh, physical kind of thing, uh, you can look back and remember what that was like to train, how hard it was, and how you pushed through and did it anyway. Uh, several years ago, before we moved and came here to Grandview, so this is getting like six, seven years ago at this point, I trained really hard. Uh, and uh, I didn't do it in a in a public race, but I did uh, train hard enough and ended up completing running a 5K on my own, um, just out in the hills around Bront, where we were pastoring at the time. Uh, and I remember being super excited when that happened, very, very, very happy with God allowing uh, 
you know, health and, 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 and steadfastness in my life in order to achieve that. Um, and, uh, you know, we moved shortly after that. I fell out of the habit of exercising, went back into bad habits of eating, uh, and, and all that went astray. But I can look back on that time and know that I can do that again because I've done it already. Uh, and it's one thing to look back and think, well, you know, when I was a kid, I could do this. Uh, but it's a whole different ball of wax when you think about being an adult. Uh, like I said, though, that was just a few years ago for me. So looking back, I know that I can do that. Yes, I know it's possible because I've actually seen it happen. So let me ask you, as we begin to think about this idea of the long haul, what have you accomplished in your own life that you thought was nearly impossible? What goal have you achieved that was incredibly difficult to achieve? I know that there's got to be something that you can look back on in your life. And I'm not just talking about some sort of physical goal when it comes to, to weight or to health, physical health. I'm talking about any kind of goal. Maybe it was an intellectual goal, an educational goal. Maybe it was a relational, uh, a goal that you had in a relationship with someone. Um, someone that was very hard to love that you decided you were going to love anyway. Uh, or someone that was going through something, someone that you love going through something very difficult, an illness, and you decided you weren't going to run away, that you were going to love them through that illness and through that difficulty. Some of you have probably fought off different kinds of illnesses, cancers, or, or maybe some illnesses that followed you around when you were younger, when you were a kid. Uh, and you can look back on all of those moments, whatever they might be, and remember that you have what it takes. That God in you, you have what it takes. That you've done it before. You've accomplished really hard, really difficult things before, so there's nothing holding you back from doing them again other than that voice in your head that tells you that you can't. But when that voice in your head tells you that you can't pops up, remind that voice that I know that I can because I already have. I already have done difficult things. I already have completed difficult tasks. I already have went the long haul in other areas of my life, so I know that I can do the long haul in this area of my life. So again, what is the most difficult goal that you've ever achieved? Whatever that was, I encourage you to put that at the forefront of your mind in the days to come. Uh, remember what it was like to go through that difficulty and remember how strong you were in the midst of it and remind yourself that you can indeed do that again. Whatever it is that you did, whatever it is you achieved, what did you learn about yourself through that? If you're in the midst of some goal pursuit right now, which those of you who are in our Facebook group certainly are, uh, what are you learning about yourself right now? I've seen that some of you have uh, have done really great uh, exercise things. You, you've uh, been able to walk several miles a day and probably haven't done that in a while. Some of you have actually took me up on the 24-hour fast challenge and did that. And I know that those things were difficult, but you did them. What did you learn about yourself? What did you learn about God in you, the Holy Spirit upon you during those times of difficulty that you achieved? Just to remind you of this series, everything that we've been focusing on over the last five weeks and now our sixth, we started from the foundation that God loves us and pre-approves us just the way that we are, not because of anything that we have done, but because of who he is and what he has done through his son, Jesus. 
that there's nothing we could do, nothing we could change about ourselves to earn God's love. He gives it to us freely, and all we must do is accept it. And so before we try to change ourselves, before we try to become more like Jesus, the first thing that we need to do is realize that it is only because of what Jesus did that we are loved. And because of what he did, there is no way for us to be unlovable. We can reject that sacrifice and choose to live a life apart from Christ. But if we accept Jesus' sacrifice, which is all we have to do, if we accept Jesus' sacrifice, we are approved just the way that we are. And even if you didn't change a single iota from this point forward to the rest of your life, if God loved you and saved you, if you accepted that gift of salvation, you will be with him for eternity in heaven. He will love you just the way that you are. But from that foundation, we also commit to understanding that God loves us so much that he's not going to leave us the way that we are, that he wants us to chisel or he wants us to allow him to chisel certain parts of our life down, to refine us. God is called a refining fire uh, throughout Scripture. Um, and, and to allow God to do that, to, to come in and to, to break off uh, the parts of us that need to be taken away and to add to us things that, that we, we need to have added to us. And, and the first thing that we do in order to allow God to chisel is to name our monsters, to name the things at work in our life that are coming against us, the things that are leading us in certain areas of our lives to live in an ungodly fashion, even though we do follow and believe in the one true God, Jesus Christ. What are those monsters in your life? And once we name our monster, the third step is to exorcise, exorcise like we would a demon, to exorcise that monster from our life, to kick it out, to evict it, uh, to detox as it were, uh, to remove those things from our lives, those unhealthy habits, those unhealthy temptations, those unhealthy people, to take those things out of our lives, those unhealthy self-talk things that we always do, to remove those from our lives so that we might be ready to put in new habits, better habits, good habits, to think about the good things that Christ would put at the forefront of our minds and not these negative things. We name the monsters and we evict the monsters. And then as we attempt to build new habits, we realize that the only thing that is ever really going to satisfy us moving forward is our relationship with Jesus Christ. That the only true sustenance that we actually need is the person of Jesus. We think about Jesus uh, meeting the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4 and the disciples disappearing in town to get him some food, get all of them some food. They come back and they try to feed him. And he has had this wonderful encounter with this woman and God has used him. Uh, and they try to give Jesus the food and he says he's not hungry anymore. And they're dumbfounded. Did anybody see this man eat? And he has to tell them, I ate of a food that you don't know about. He was with his father, doing his father's work, satisfied him, even in a physical way. Now that doesn't mean that we don't ever eat. Uh, Jesus ate, we know that. But it means that the only Thing that is ever really going to satisfy us on a soul level, as we talk about health as a, in a holistic perspective, is our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And if we are not making that priority in our life, we're going to be hungry, we're going to be thirsty, and we're going to turn to the wrong wells and to the wrong foods to try to meet our needs, rather than the one thing that will only satisfy. Christ is the only true sustenance that we have. And as we walk this walk of transformation, looking to Jesus as our true sustenance, as the one who is going to transform us, 
Last week we talked about the fact that we don't do that on our own. That we are not Lone Ranger Christians. That there really isn't such a thing. Even the Lone Ranger had Tonto, right? There isn't such a thing as a, every man is an island or every woman is an island. Uh, those things are untrue. God created us in community. God created us to, to bear one another's burdens, to celebrate each other's joys. And so we're called to live in community. And so we, uh, we decided to, as we talked about last week, to find a Ruth and to be a Ruth. Uh, that the way Ruth loved Naomi, that, that we ought to have people in our lives that care for us that way. And we all also ought to care for other people the way that Ruth cared for Naomi, that we can be that for other people as well. Uh, that we are in this together and that we transform together, that we become more like Christ together, uh, that we look to him as true sustenance as one body, uh, not as a bunch of divided individuals. The church is one body, the body of Jesus, and we are in this together. And so that's the journey that we've laid out before us thus far. And now, as we come to the end of this part of that journey, we're talking about the long road. We're talking about the long haul. Um, all of the things that, that we plan to continue doing. Uh, and so what we're going to do uh, over the next few minutes uh, is we're going to look at Hebrews 10, chapter 32 through 39, uh, and we're going to think about the long haul. We're going to see God's words to the uh, this congregation in Hebrews. Uh, we're going to see how God wanted them to persevere. Uh, and before we do that, let's pray together. Father, we thank you and love you for today. God, we thank you for the truth of your word, the opportunity to share it, the opportunity to hear it. Uh, God, wonderful technology that we have so that we can share in these new and, and unique ways during these new and unique times. God, I pray that you would, uh, through your word and through your Holy Spirit, do a work of transformation in us and a work of transformation that lasts. And I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, I'm going to be reading from the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verses 32 through 39. And I'm going to break it up a little bit. I'm going to start with verses 32 through 34, uh, and then we'll go from there. But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Let me give you a little context about what's going on in Hebrews. Uh, Hebrews, the main idea throughout the book of Hebrews is the superiority of the new covenant in Jesus to the old covenant uh, under the law. Uh, and how Jesus usurps all the priestly orders, all the things that the priests did, all the sacrifices that used to be given on the Day of Atonement and throughout the year, all of those are gone because Jesus is the one true sacrifice, the one true living King. And because of what he has done, we no longer have to approach God through a priest. We no longer have to approach God with sacrifices. We can approach God through the priest, through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And we can do so, as the author of Hebrews tells us, with boldness as we come before the throne because we know that Jesus has created a new, better covenant. And part of the reason that the author of Hebrews is writing that to, to these people spread abroad throughout the, throughout the world at the time is because he wanted them to not turn back to the old ways, to not run away from their new faith in a time of persecution, 
to not once again subject themselves to the law, but instead to follow this path that they had started, this path of following Jesus. It was a threatening time for many of them, and many of them were beginning to fall back and to fall away. And so the author of Hebrews addressing that need talks about the superiority of Christ, but also how we ought to stay steadfast within that superiority. And so right here in this immediate context in chapter 10, uh, he talks about people who are were being tempted to fall away, being tempted to, to move away, to just continue in sin or to continue back to the law. And it's to these people and to this situation that he's writing these words that we just read. But, he tells them, when you're dealing with all these things you're dealing with, the temptation to turn around is, is present. But, in those moments, recall the former days. When, after you were enlightened, after you had known Jesus, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. In other words, he's telling them, hey guys, you've done this before. You've already endured so much. You ought to know that you're capable of standing fast at this point. You ought to know that your faith is more mature than you're giving yourself credit for. You ought to know, because you've done it before, that turning back is not the right answer, but instead pressing forward, moving on, always being faithful to take the next step that Jesus is calling you to. You've done this before. You can do it again. He reminds them of some of the extremities to which they went in order to be faithful to Jesus. Being publicly exposed, he says in verse 33, to reproach and affliction. Not just dealing with hardship, but doing so in a humiliating fashion. Publicly exposed. Even that word gives a connotation of humiliation. To reproach and affliction. And he went on sometimes being partners with those so treated. In other words, not only did some of you walk through those difficult times, but some of you, even though you didn't have to, you chose to walk alongside those who were going through difficult times. So why in the world would you think about turning back? You chose to walk into public humiliation. You chose to walk into persecution and ridicule. You chose to walk into those, both the Jews and the Romans, who were th who were saying terrible things about your faith and threatening things. You chose to walk into that situation. So why in the world would you think about walking away from that now? You've already done so much. And we know that Christ can continue in you to do it again. Verse 34. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully... Listen to the, to the depth of what the Hebrews were willing to do because of Jesus. You joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. You joyfully accepted the plundering, the theft of your property. I don't know about you, but I don't think I've ever been happy when I've had something stolen. And I've never had my house robbed. I've just had a couple of things stolen over the years in college and things like that. And I've never been happy about it, even though there were very minor things. You know, to imagine someone who would see something that has been stolen from them and think, ah, that's, yay, I got stuff stolen from me. That's awesome. But that's the kind of picture that he's painting. These people have joyfully accepted the plundering of their property. Why? Because or since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. In other words, they trusted in the new covenant of Jesus. 
and even when people stole things from them, plundered their property, they could react with joy because they knew that something better was waiting on them, that they had something greater in store. And so the way it puts that whole kind of dealing with theft in your own life in perspective, doesn't it? Someone can take from me, but what they can't take from me is my relationship with Jesus. What they can't take from me is my citizenship in heaven. What they can't take from me is my co-inheritance in Christ. I can trust in all of those things. And even when my material things get thieved, get stolen from me, I can rejoice because there is something that no thief can steal that's waiting on me. What a wonderful perspective. And these people have shown that. They have done this. They have, they have been faithful giants in dealing with these persecution and dealing with these hardships, choosing to walk alongside their neighbors as they deal with them, choosing to, to walk alongside those in prison and having compassion for them rather than just ignoring it and trying to be happy on their own. They walked a difficult path. They've already done it. So he says to them in verse 35, therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. He's he's showing them all these things that they did. And then he's saying, don't throw that away. Don't throw away your confidence. Look at what you've already done. Don't throw that away. God has done so much in you and he will continue to move in you. Please don't throw away your confidence. You have reason to be confident. And the same is true for all of us. As I challenged you at the beginning, again, think back through those hardships in your life, whether they were self-imposed or someone else was imposing them upon you. And remember the difficult things that you've achieved, that you've walked through, that you came out on the other side when you think you didn't stand a chance. Remember those things. Go back there in your mind. Relive those moments. And then take the confidence that comes out of that and move forward with it. Don't throw that confidence away. God built that confidence in you so that you could continue to follow him in more difficult times as you moved into the future. Verse 36. This is why. This is the whole point. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. In this passage, or in these couple of verses, really verses 37 and 38, but I also read verse 36. Verses 37 and 38, the author is quoting the book of Habakkuk. Uh, and that's noteworthy because in the book of Habakkuk, uh, we see the prophet Habakkuk, first of all, just frustrated and confused as to why God would allow a foreign army to come in and take over his people. And Habakkuk and God kind of go back and forth in their book. Uh, Habakkuk trying to understand why God is allowing such evil to happen. And, and God responding with, you know, I'm going to do this whether you like it or not, but also promising a future restoration after Habakkuk's lifetime, but a future restoration. And so here to the people that the author of Hebrews is writing to, to faithful Christians uh, spread out in the Roman world who are struggling to live their faith, struggling against the Jews who are uh, tempting them, the Judaizers that Paul would call them, that are tempting them to go back to subjugation of the law dealing with the Romans and, the, and, 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 and all sorts of just pagan ideologies around them, 
calling them to other gods or, or, or to materialism and all sorts of things other than their, their one God. Paul is reminding them, this is why I'm reminding you of these things, uh, because you have a need of endurance and deliverance is coming. One day it will come, just like God told the prophet Habakkuk. It might be a long time from now, but deliverance is coming. And until then, you're going to need endurance. Habakkuk was going to need it as God would judge his people through foreign bodies. The people were going to need it in those days as well. And Habakkuk was to give them the message, which he did. You and I are going to need it in our day. We don't know for how long. We don't know when Jesus will return. We don't know when each one of us will be called home. But what we do know is that until then, we're going to face trials. Jesus promised us that. And in the meantime, we're going to need that sort of endurance. We're going to need that kind of righteousness, of living by faith that he talks about when he quotes Habakkuk. Let me read verse 38 again, and then I'm going to read 39 to close out the chapter, close out the passage we're reading. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, <clears throat> my soul has no pleasure in him. But... We are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Ah, what a wonderful way to end this passage. What a wonderful way to end this study. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. So Habakkuk, or not Habakkuk, the author of Hebrews, talking about the, the prospect of some stepping away from their faith of some making the decision to go back on commitments that they've made. He reminds them of, of everything that they've already done, of the way that God has already worked through them, of the things that they've already accomplished and how they ought not to throw that hard-earned confidence away, but ought to use it for the endurance set before them. Because even if they've been thinking about shrinking back, that's not who they are. They're followers of Jesus Christ. They don't shrink back. They don't turn around. They don't give up. They don't wave the white flag. And may I encourage you today with that same reality. <clears throat> Christian, follower of Jesus, you have survived difficulties through the grace of Jesus Christ. He has brought you through things that nobody else in this world will know about. He's brought you through mental problems. He has brought you through spiritual problems. He's brought you through physical illnesses. He's brought you through self-imposed physical restrictions. He has delivered you from things. And he has given you a confidence in him and in his ability within you to transform you, mind, body, and soul. He has shown you that he has the power to do that and that you have the power to do that with him in you. Keep that confidence. And know that right now, the problems that you're facing today the transformations that you're trying to achieve today, have confidence in yourself and in Jesus in you and know that you can accomplish those tasks. You can go through this difficult time. We are in the midst of strange difficulties. We are in the midst of strange times, but we know that we can and will get through them because the church of Jesus Christ has and always will get through them. Even when this world ends, the church of Jesus Christ will not. Even when this world passes, you, Christian, follower of Jesus, will not. There's cattle on a thousand hill waiting for you to roam in for the rest of your days, which are eternal. 
and to spend time with the owner of those cattle on the thousand hills. You know that that's waiting on you. So have confidence. And look, you are not the kind of person to give up. You are not the kind of person to shrink back. You are not the kind of person to fall away. You are a Christian. That word means little Christ. You are a Christ follower. You have followed him through so much already. Continue to press on today and forevermore. Be in it for the long haul. And when you are tempted to give up, when you are tempted to fall away, remember what he's already done. Remember what he is doing. And remember the promise that awaits us all. You are not the kind to shrink back. Don't throw away your confidence. Believe and press forward.